This week on Developer Weekly. Would you log that? Well, maybe those calculations happen thousands of times per hour or per second even. So that doesn't really make sense to store those in a log. You would never look at them again. Hey guys, I've been using Windows 10 for years now and I recently took the time to learn how to be more productive with it. There are lots of shortcuts and tools in Windows 10 that help me throughout the day. Do you also want to be more productive with Windows 10? Then check out my new Udemy course called Windows 10 Productivity Booster. You can check it out at azureberry.com slash windows. That is azureberry.com slash windows. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week I'm talking with Alex Thyssen about monitoring, logging and tracing .NET applications and Azure stuff in Azure. Alex is an application development enthusiast since the late 90s and works as an architect, lead developer and mentor at large enterprises and small companies. He also does all sorts of other stuff and speaks a lot at conferences. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Barry. Hi, hey, thanks. Yeah, good to have you on the show. It's, uh, yeah, I had you on the list for a long time, actually. I thought, this is the guy, because uh, (laughs) back when I had uh, uh, helped out with the uh, user group, .NET South, we had you on as a speaker talking about uh, containers. You remember that? It's quite a while back. Yeah. It was a very good talk, was that? So I I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I always enjoy your stuff. You, you're, you can explain technology concepts very well, and that's what we need in this world. <laughs> okay, well, the, what, the, the, that might be thanks to a couple of years of training that I did, where I uh, focused on teaching developers and architects to um, to learn all the new stuff on the Microsoft platform. Ah, yeah, yeah, because there's always new stuff to learn, and uh, even if it's not new, there's so much stuff nowadays that there's you know you can't learn everything. So. Uh, today, I wanted to talk about uh, something very important, like monitoring, logging, and tracing. And that basically comes down to, you know, as a developer or software person, uh, whatever you do, even if you're a DevOps person, you spend a lot of time uh, looking at stuff that goes wrong in your applications, right? As a developer, usually I try to make stuff, like let's say it's a website or something, uh-huh. and I don't know, maybe... of the time (laughs) I deal with, oh, why is it not working as I want it to work? And that's even in development time. And that becomes worse when uh, things don't work as expected when they are actually running in production. Because there, you know, I'm not debugging. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not on that machine basically. So it's, it's more difficult. So (laughs) as a software person, uh, we spend a lot of time in that world of troubleshooting and dealing with things that go wrong. And I guess uh, uh, to make that a bit easier and a bit better and to make sure that we have we don't have no reproduction bugs, so things that we cannot reproduce, we need to make sure that we have monitoring, logging, and uh, tracing. So these, these concepts, maybe we can uh, start by defining what that actually is. Because like the, we have three terms here, monitoring, logging, and tracing. What are those and what is the difference between those? Can you explain that? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I do feel your pain that you're, used, <laughs> you're like, oh, it worked on my machine and now it's yeah. running somewhere else and it doesn't work anymore, but I don't have the luxury of 
of debugging it in in a development environment and and you have no clue and then sometimes you resort to the poor man's debugging with sprinkling all these log messages here and there just to get a bit of an understanding what is going on because i'm in the blind on the other side yeah well uh, I think that that uh, um, uh, overall that I, w- I would call that instrumentation, and I, mm. I like to think of a plane where you want to have all these uh, altitude, um, air pressure, uh, velocity, uh, altitude, those kind of things. You want to know that um, because otherwise, if you don't, you are in the blind and you don't know where you're going and where you are, and that's not a not a good space to be in. Mm. Um, well, so what what do you well, what can you do in your applications to get a bit more of an understanding of what is happening inside? And you mentioned yeah. the logging, then there's the tracing, and I also would like to think about uh, metrics as well. Ah, so with yeah. those, you can start monitoring your system because it's instrumented ah, with yeah, those yeah. three aspects, and I think they're kind of different. Um, to start with the logging because we're most familiar with that one. Um, that's um, sort of like a record keeping. It's a log with uh, a list of things that have happened and that were noteworthy um, because you want to look back at them later on. It was something significant and you have it logged so you could say, okay, at this time, this happened. Yeah. And that, that gives you an understanding of important things that happened in your application. Um, important enough to keep those logs around for a long time, sometimes even a couple of years. Um, the tracing is is... Um, well, it's all, almost similar, but tracing allows you to um, see certain points in your code. And it, it sort of resembles logging, but logging is sent out to a, a log provider or a log source where it's stored, and those can be multiples. Um, with tracing, what you normally do is you you um, have this uh, snippets of information that you send out just to give a bit of a sign of life with some contextual information. And by stitching those together, you can see, you can trace, or you can follow the flow of your execution in in your program. And it serves a different purpose because uh, tracing is there to help you understand why things are going wrong. For example, in case of tracing, you could say you have a um, a, a calculate um, mortgage uh, function. And then inside, you could uh, trace the the input variables just so you can see what what is actually, uh, what what did you receive there? Would you log that? Well, maybe those calculations happen uh, thousands of times per hour or per second even. So that that doesn't really make sense to store those in a log. You would never look at them again. But during a debug session or, you know, troubleshooting, you would want to know, okay, I'm turning on, that's a, a significant thing as well, you would turn on tracing, and then you can start listening to the trace information. And it's high volume. There, there's a lot of trace information. You would get overwhelmed with it. Um, but you only do that in certain scenarios. So you turn it on, you start listening, and you see all those things flashing by. And then you're like, ah, oh, this is what is actually going on. And then you turn it off, and you have your yeah. repo without actually having to do um, a debugging. Um, that's That's... The, the, the place for tracing. And it allows you to flow um, um, the follow the flow of your application. And if you do distributed tracing, you can even see that across network hops from one service to the other, because there's a, well, there's a W3C um, formatted tracing and each participant in the, uh, the distributed uh, call stack 
if they adopt such a um, such a standard as W3C tracing, then you can um, correlate them all together, and you can even see okay, we're going from the website and these kind of things happened. And then we jumped to a web API and the other things happened. And then you could jump back to another one. And even if you fan out across multiple services, you could see everything mm. um, as a form of telemetry stitched together. But it's also distributed tracing. And then you have the, the, the metrics. And the metrics are uh, numeral information that you send out. And usually it's about performance of your application in the broader sense. It could be um, like the, the Windows performance counters, that those are metrics as well, or Linux metrics on memory consumption, uh, disk reads, um, um, well, the, the network traffic that is happening, those are um, machine metrics. But your application could also um, send out metrics, for example, the number of conversions uh, from a, um, a shopping basket on your web shop, when there yeah. and somebody actually did, bought something or added something to it, you can you can see these counters that say, okay, the numbers of items being added to shopping basket at this point in time. And that if it's a Black Friday, you would probably see that spike. And you see, ooh, something really good is happening. <laughs> but also, if you all of a sudden see it dropping to zero, yeah that's probably not a good sign on Black Friday. So you can also see when things are going wrong. And that's the instrumentation where the plane would say, okay, you're on a collision course with a mountain. Maybe you should steer left or right or go up. Uh, this is where you could see what, how is my, my application doing? And that's that's maybe the fourth part. Some uh, some people like to combine the, 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 the deep knowledge of your system and um, formulated in, in terms of health endpoints. And then what you do is, instead of monitoring on the outside and looking at the metrics and saying, okay, if this happens, it's, it's not a good sign, you can have the application itself indicating, I'm not doing well, so I'm unhealthy or I'm degraded. An example, if an application is reading from a certain queue, and the, the queue size is uh, building up, that could be an indication that um, the service is being overwhelmed by all the incoming messages on the queue. So we could say, I'm, I'm unhealthy because I can't keep up. I, the, so the, the, the system is getting unhealthy. And that allows you to um, know before things are really going wrong that they are about to go wrong. Yeah. yeah. And with all of these combined, you have very rich instrumentation. Uh, record keeping for for a long term period, following the flow of your application, seeing the uh, the numerical things you, um, that that are happening, so you can see averages, trend lines. That that's good for graphs, um, and the health monitoring is about um, your system itself indicating if it's a thumbs up or halfway or thumbs down, yeah. um, and that that allows you to do things like um, the monitoring that you mentioned. Then we can start monitoring because. If we build a dashboard with particular indicators that say this is good, this is not so good, these are the uh, the, the, the graphs, then um, you can look into your system, so to speak, uh, even though you're watching on the outside. It's like yeah. it's like a doctor that, that, that would um, do all these wires on your heart for, to see your heart pulses and to measure the, the, the oxygen in your blood and your blood pressure. It's kind of like that. We're on the outside, but we can tell a lot about your health. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. So that's the difference between those things. 
So uh, I remember that uh, there was an application once. It wasn't that that great of an application. It was a, uh, what do you call it? A brownfield application. So an existing application I needed to work on. And they had quite some performance problems. And we really didn't know where they came from. And they only happened on production as well. So what we did was we uh, built in these uh, log messages like, hey, I'm now at uh, this and this is the timestamp. And hey, now I'm at this method and a uh, second has passed. And now I'm here and this took uh, this long. And then mm-hmm. try to log out those things in, in production, uh, which was very, very painful. So <laughs> for a problem like that, that happens in production, is there a better way for that? What, what would you use for that? Okay. Well, the, the, um, uh, what you did was using the uh, the, the log messages, uh, like I said, the poor man's debugging, right? It's, yeah. it's like uh, watching, uh, trying to figure out what the movie is by having these uh, um, um, screenshots of, of the of, of, <laughs> yeah. of every um, every now and again the light flashes on, and then you can see what is there, and then the light goes off, and you're in yeah. the blind, and then it's it there, and you have to make well, mental exercises to know, to think what happened inside based on the code. And it, it's a lot of guessing. Um, yeah. the, the, the tracing might help you there because it gives you much richer information, even um, um, if it's not being logged. And it's also better for performance. Um, well, a couple of things that you can do in that case. If, if things go bad in production only, so it's not reproducible in a uh, similar environment, um, then I would say you could do uh, a couple of things. First of all, you can uh, do snapshot debugging, which uh, instructs if uh, that that is if you're using um, the the .NET Core stack or the the, the .NET stack in general. Yeah. Um, you can instruct your application to uh, give a, a snapshot, and that you can load inside your Visual Studio debugger, and you can debug at that point in time. So it's uh, like um, uh, taking a small part of the movie and being able to go back and forth there and inspect variables and see what is happening. Um, A more uh, rude version of that is doing a um, a sort of a memory dump where you build a a dump image and that you can also load with tools that that are called uh, SOS with WinDBG is the the, the tool surrounding it. And the SOS, that's a son of Strike. It used to be an internal tool, Strike, by Microsoft, and they built a public version, son of Strike. So you will find a lot of these SOS things um, that that allow you to um, open up a, a, a memory dump and inspect everything inside from managed to unmanaged code. And then where there's a lot of tutorials, there's one, um, I have to think of the name of the, the person that did it, um, let me think. I'll get back to that later. But it, it's um, a, a woman from Norwegian. She's a support engineer at Microsoft, and she has a very nice blog with tutorials on how to use the tooling and how you can inspect the the stack, the heap, all the threads to do um, look um, at, um, for example, um, um, deadlocks to look at um, um, places where you have um, uh, memory leaks. Um, um, objects that are locked and uh, can't be uh, can't be disposed. A lot of things that you can get out of that tool, and um, there's commercial tools as well that go even beyond that. 
Um, but those those allow you to um, get a lot of information. For example, if you have unexpected crashes, yeah. that, uh, then you can do a, uh, um, a memory dump on the crash. You can instruct the machine to do so. Load the, um, the, the memory dump, use the tooling, and start fiddling around. And with a little bit of practice, you will be able to do a sort of a post-mortem analysis, which can help. But the uh, snapshot debugger is there uh, as an alternative. Um, yeah, and, and that might help you in a situation where you say, I, I have no, uh, no repro bug uh, other yeah. than, than on production. Yeah, snapshot debugger is a really good tip there. Uh, I did it uh, in a different way uh, once where I actually attached the debugger to a production process. That's not a very good idea because then when you hit a breakpoint, the whole website stops. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> the process stops. all the threads from processing and uh, the, <laughs> just run a single one. That's, that's one side effect. And probably if you want to do some, some useful debugging, you might have had to uh, put a, uh, a debug version there as well to get all yeah. the simple information. So you're yeah. not even doing a release build, but a debug build on production. Well, if, if push comes to shove, that might be the thing you have to do. And then, but did you find the bug eventually? Yeah, yeah, did find the bug Yeah, and solved it. <laughs> all right, okay. So. Would it have been something that you could have fixed um, in, in another way, in retrospect? Did you find that, ah, if I only had done this, I would have found the bug earlier and not in, in production only? No, it was really something that only happened with production data. So what could have helped is if, if we would have had uh, environments that would actually contain parts of the production data. Yes. So the, the, the problem there was, and this happens a lot, I see at least uh, in, in my consulting, is that uh, the environments, sort of development, tests, acceptance, production, or whatever environments you have, usually are very, very different in infrastructure. So the development environment often just has a little bit of data that the developers themselves just put in there in a database, let's say, that you test stuff out. And then usually things seem to work fine, but then come in production where you have all sorts of weird data, users put in lots of weird stuff, or maybe a lot of data, things sometimes work differently than uh, than expected. So I think it's good practice to also uh, take the data, so not only the, the things where your services run and make those the same in the, those environments, at least as similar as you can do, but also the data itself. Try to make snapshots of the database of production and then use those in acceptance and test as well. And potentially you should mask some uh, some production yeah. data there. Let's say if you have credit card information or other stuff, personal information that should only be in production and uh, that developers and other people shouldn't uh, be able to read. So, um, okay. So these processes that you've just uh, talked about, instrumenting your application, uh, that sounds a bit painful, actually. <laughs> I think, uh, let's say we're, we're running our application in Azure. Uh, is there uh, not a very easy way maybe to, to instrument and monitor our application when we do that? Ah, that's a good one. Uh, let me think. Well, well, in in, uh, in Azure, you get a lot of uh, internal information from the resources themselves. It's it's more at the uh, the control plane, where yeah. things happen that that uh, allow you to uh, inspect your application at another level. That that's uh, that's one thing um, I would I would say. The other thing is that in uh, in Azure, 
there are uh, Azure resources that will help you out with this. Uh, for example, right. if you have application insights, Ah, um, yeah. it, uh, there, there's only a little bit you have to do to add instrumentation um, from application insights to your application parts. Yeah. And then you will find that there's a, a very nice um, sort of um, uh, collaboration between your code and the Azure resources. Um, as an example, if you um, host things on uh, an, an Azure web app, um, calling into an Azure Web API also as an Azure Web app or maybe in an inside of an AKS cluster and then make a call to Azure SQL or some other uh, data storage uh, resource. You will find that if you use application insights and with all the correlation information it's being sent across that you can get really rich application maps that allow you to inspect the, the, the way your application is hooked together and how calls are going from one place to the other. It's sort of a, um, um, well, yeah, um, getting a visual imprint of all the calls going back and forth with uh, measurement of time, uh, but also being able to pinpoint the places where the, the failures are happening because the application insight, uh, if you go to the portal, it will um, surface those errors and you can drill down into them. And you can see the um, all the, the, the traces, so things calling things, and then all of a sudden here it breaks, and then yeah. it, it usually escalates that, that the, all, the other, all the other stuff is broken as well, but you can pinpoint it to the root cause and then um, um, inspect, and usually there's uh, even the, the exception information that's also being logged. And um, yeah. that, that comes because that, that, that works because Azure is built that way. It, it uses that internally as well. It sends out all this information to um, um, Azure Log Analytics. That's, that's the backend storage. And the Azure Monitor can look at uh, the, the log analytics. Um, and it's, it's also the, um, the .NET runtime, the .NET Core runtime, also using uh, all these metrics and sending out information about uh, its health, the, the number of requests, the requests being throttled, and that that's also already there for you and you don't have to do anything about it. To, so yeah. is it painful? Well, you get a lot for free. If you have a, um, a Microsoft uh, homogeneous stack, then, then it, will, it will usually work very well together. If you make trips to other things outside, you might have to do a little bit more work there. Um, but I still think it's a good practice that if you're doing um, development um, for, for, let's say, cloud uh, applications um, and you want to do more of the DevOps style of working, then it, you, you build it and you need to run it as well. And I think that as a team, you want to have all these things in place. So I consider it a best practice to put that in. Otherwise, it's not ready to be run into production because how will you be able to get a feedback loop? And it's not just how is it doing, but sometimes it's even how is it being used by your customers? Because we built this new feature, and as it turns out, two months down the line, nobody actually used it because we can see it from the usage metrics that nobody was using the advanced search that the business said the customers wanted to have. And then you, you can have, um, or you can see that there's, there's a lot of use for it. And then you can say, ah, good, we are going to reprioritize our backlog because this is a good thing. We need to invest more in this area. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. 
so yeah, Application Insights gives you a lot for free. Uh, what I like there a lot is that uh, uh, you know you can enable that for your application in the Azure portal where you say, all right, I want Application Insights. And then it will add an extension, let's say, to an Azure app service so that it will monitor uh, everything that's going on in the infrastructure. And then in your code, if you have Visual Studio, for instance, and you, you are in the .NET uh, ecosystem, then you can also simply there say, well, add application insights to my application, to my .NET or .NET Core application. And then it adds those packages and a couple lines of code. And then it just automatically basically works, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and to your point there, yeah, I totally agree. You know, a feature really isn't done until it is used as expected. <laughs> so, you know, it's not only that, that there's no bugs, even if there's no bugs, it could be that users aren't using it, like you say. It could be that users uh, don't seem to be able to use it as they want to. Maybe, you know, maybe you're, you designed it weird and they just can't find the button that they need to click on. And, and you notice in your monitoring and tracing that they keep clicking on something else or on the back button or something. And that that's weird around there. So it, it should be in the definition of done that you, yes. uh, uh, that it works as expected. And if, if it isn't, then like you say, you have that feedback loop and you can take that back to product management or whoever who then puts it back on the backlog or prioritizes it. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it, it's it's the same, I think, with um, if you're doing DevOps. People like to say we're doing biz DevOps, but I think you should always do DevOps together with the business because you're doing it for the business. It should be co-creation. Uh, some people say we do biz uh, um, DevSecOps because we need to put security <laughs> in there. I'm like, uh, how can you build something that doesn't do uh, security up front? Um, and I think the same goes uh, for... The, 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 the monitoring capabilities. How can you do ops if you don't have monitoring? And so it, it, it all boils down to uh, your definition of done, like you said, that, that it should be there. Um, it should be secure, compliant, instrumented. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, we've just talked about application insights, which is a great way to monitor stuff that runs in, let's say app servers and other services within Azure. Now, you know, I like Azure. Uh, you also like to run stuff in containers, right? Like, let's say, mm -hmm. in Kubernetes or something. How does that work? How can you instrument and monitor stuff there in, in a similarly easy way as with Application Insights? Does Application Insights work for containers or do you use something else? Um, that, that, would, that will work. And it will, the, the, the containers are... Um, I think uh, once you discover the, 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 the power of containers, but also the ease of use, then, um, well, uh, I think you, you'll see that it's uh, hard to think of a, um, a new solution not using uh, containers. But it's, it's not a um, one-size-fits-all or a solve-everything uh, um, piece of technology. Uh, but I can, I can illustrate a couple of things there. Um, first of all, um, the well, what makes containers great is it's that it's um, it's a sort of a application virtualization. Mm -hmm. It puts everything you need to run an application inside of a uh, well-defined set of files. That's the container image. Where if you have a, a machine that is able to um, to host a container instance, 
and it has the right kernel underneath. A Linux container image needs to run a Linux kernel and a yeah. Windows container image needs to run on Windows, then you're good to go. If the kernel is compatible with the, um, the assumption when the uh, container image was built, it will, be, it, it will run. And it will run because everything is there. And, and to illustrate yeah. is that when it clicked for me was when I had a very old container image from two years back and I wondered, ooh, I have a completely new machine. It might not run anymore. And then I realized, no, it will run because the container is self-contained. It, it has everything it needs. It, may, it might be an old .NET version, um, but it has all the NuGet packages and everything that it needs all packaged together. So it's ready to go. Just fire it up and, and it, it starts running. And it did. Um, so back to um, what do you need to do there? Well, um, sometimes it's just a matter of taking the application that you build and you put uh, application insights in there, and then you package it as a container image. And, and it, 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 there are some mm. requirements there to be able to run inside of a container, and there's good practices because a container image, it's fixed. Um, um, Hard-coded things that you put inside of the container image will not change when you move it from dev to test to acceptance to production yeah, or maybe yeah. from pre-production to production. It doesn't even matter how many different environments you have. The, the, the environments change, but the image doesn't. And if the image contains environmental information, it, it will break. Yeah. If Just imagine if the connection string is in your app settings JSON, yeah. that file will be in your container image and that will um, um, work probably in uh, development. But if you move to another one, it has the wrong connection string. Yeah. The uh, same goes for, um, for application insight. All it needs is a unique identifier, the instrumentation key. And that's something that you don't want to hard code inside of your uh, image. Because if you make that environmental, like reading it from an environmental uh, variable and, and how that is done in .NET is using uh, the configuration system because you can just say in the configuration builder add environment variables and it does so by default then it will read information from the environment and then your container environment or your hosting environment will only have to say this is the instrumentation key for this environment and your application code will read it from the environment instead of having it hard-coded in files on compilation, um, and it will, it will work in different environments. So you can tweak it from the outside with the environment variables in several ways, um, and your code is fixed inside of the container image, and that's what we call uh, immutable um, um, images because they won't change. So you have a guarantee that whatever you're running in one environment is also running in production. So in your case, yeah. you know that it's not the code because the code couldn't change from, from the image that you started with up to the point where it's in production. If it's the same container image, it, it has the exact same code. So it can only be environment changes, the, the environment variables, or the data changes, like you said, because yeah. usually that's external. Yeah. Ah. But it doesn't, it doesn't take uh, additional effort if you um, packaged it as a container image. And if you're doing .NET Co uh, Core uh, or .NET 5, if you have Visual Studio 2019 or Visual Studio Code, then you can use the tooling to add that uh, the, the Docker file, which is the description of how the image is built, and, and the tooling will take care of the rest and put everything inside of an image. Ah, okay. 
Yeah, isn't that wonderful nowadays? You just say, click in Visual Studio and everything happens automatically and you don't have to worry about it. Well, yeah. ish. <laughs> I think it's good to have tooling accelerate the things you're doing, but not if they're doing magic and you are losing control of what is, <laughs> what is really happening there. Uh, yeah. And it might be confusing at times. For example, like we're discussing now, um, Visual Studio, um, if you're running a Docker Compose, which is a composition of several Docker images, um, it might be a composition of several .NET projects in your Visual Studio solution. Yeah. Then um, you think that if you look at the um, at your all your code, that everything is there, but somewhere on a in a special place, um, it, it builds, it generates additional files that will be used for debugging purposes or for oh. running in a, in a release mode. And you need to know about those because otherwise you would think, how can it be that inside of my image when I'm debugging, there are no files with my DLLs, the .NET assemblies or so, they're missing. How can that be? And then, um, so that's the automatically, yeah? it, it works, but how does it work? Because if I try yeah, to run yeah, the image yeah. without Visual Studio, it says, I can't run this. And then it, it turns out that what Microsoft does is uh, for debugging container images, they build a hollow container and instead of putting the files in there, they put a, like a, um, let's say a, a, a volume mapping is what it's called. Yeah. But it's, it's, they, they uh, look from inside the container onto your file system to your bin debug folder. And that's where everything is. <laughs> and so it's, it's a very fast way to keep the container image the same. Yeah. If you rebuild, your bin debug files will change and the container image will look on your file system to the all new files. And once you understand that, then you know, oh, that's why I need to build a release image because those assemblies need to be inside of the container if I want to ship it to production. Yeah. Ah. So automatically it's good as long as you understand. <laughs> Otherwise, there might be surprises. Exactly. Oh, okay. I didn't know that one. That's, uh, that's good to know. That, yeah, uh, if you want to know the, at your solution level in the, the file explorer, so you go to your solution route, and then in the side of the obj slash docker, that's mm -hmm. where you find all those files. Ah. And there you can see that there's g.yaml files that are generated files that, that, that do all the things we just discussed. Yeah. Mappings of volumes, additional settings for file watching. Um, well, yeah, the, the magic happens there. Okay, pro tip here, everybody that's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. That reminds me almost of uh, ASPX uh, days back in the oh. day. With, with uh, remember that ASP.NET forms also did lots of magic behind the screens. It was terrible stuff. <laughs> yeah. It worked, but you know how did it, how did it work? Okay, so um, I think we're uh, nearing the end of the episode. Uh, where can people find uh, more about you so that they can follow your work and maybe uh, see uh, where you are? Um, speaking next because lots of these things are uh, virtual now as well they might be able to catch one of your talks yeah the, um, um, the, there used to be a time where i did a lot of blogging and that, that that's that's ages ago um, nowadays um, i usually um, um, send my information using twitter and my twitter handle is at uh, alex tisson just you know um, um, first name last name uh, yeah. um, in a row um, and that's where usually I, um, I will mention things that I think are uh, good, uh, important things to take note of. 
And also, if I'm speaking somewhere, I would um, put it out there. Okay, excellent. I will link uh, to your Twitter uh, profile on uh, in the show notes so that people can uh, find you. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to teach me about monitoring and instrumentation. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks again uh, for having me on the, on the podcast. I really enjoyed it, uh, Barry. Good stuff. <laughs> it's absolutely my pleasure. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much. <laughs>